The following is a production of Different Brains. Visit us at differentbrains.org. Hi, I'm Dr. Hacky Reitman. Welcome to another episode of Exploring Different Brains. Today, we're so lucky to have returning to us David Hall, the CEO and founder of NeuroGuides, where they do so much for so many. David, welcome back to Exploring Different Brains. Thank you, Hacky. I definitely appreciate being here, and I'm very encouraged to be, uh, to be joining you in good, productive, positive work we do for autistic adults worldwide. You're married with three children, correct? Yes. Is your wife neurodivergent? No, she is not. Um, that's a very interesting question because, you know, for if you look at my earlier writings and articles, um, you'll see bits and pieces of my belief that that is indeed the situation, that, you know, my spouse is uh, neurodivergent and my kids are all autistic. And I, I believed that. This is, what I, this is why I speak to the power of, uh, of masking and to the power of not knowing, uh, what's the saying, to thy own self be true? Uh, of, of knowing and believing that we're something we're not. Um, th- this journey that I'm on as an autistic man now has exploded, and I mean that in a positive sense, my own understanding of myself, the way that my mind operates, and also has enabled me to see the differences of the way other minds operate. So I'm no longer uh, sort of creating a prefab cookie cutter format to play on place on top of other thinking. I am now free from that and I see an entirely new landscape. So I can honor uh, my spouse for being the way, thinking the way she does and my children for thinking the way they do and honor myself now. And together, all of us are unique. Pretty cool. I'm going to have to think about that one. That was good. Uh, <laughs> Uh, David, what is the biggest myth you think society has about autism spectrum? Well, you know, if you look back at the history of the word autism, uh, the original pioneers, the diagnosticians, the people, the researchers who studied uh, this thing we call autism, um, you know, it, we're, we're fairly recent with this, Hacky. You know that. I mean, if we look back uh, even 30 or 40 years ago, uh, th- this was almost unknown. I mean, uh, known by a very few people. But it wasn't until, you know, until Dustin Hoffman stepped onto the big screen with Rain Man and began to talk about this thing, aut- uh, aut- this thing called autism. And so what happened is that jumped onto the cultural stage. And it jumped in, onto the stage in a very strange way because Dustin Hoffman played, let's give him credit for playing an autistic person, uh, and he studied the role, and Steve Silverman knows him, and all. I mean, he, he, did a, he did a good job for what he did. But also, he communicated a, a picture, an image of an autistic person that the culture picked up and ran with. So your question is, what? What is the one thing that's just that we just get wrong as a culture? And I would say it would be making assumptions that all autistic persons are the same and that that they don't each have unique attributes. 
This is a huge problem. It, it, it affects everything we do socially, in the, in the job market, educationally. It affects everything. It's pervasive. If we could change one thing, if, and I, this is something I labor to do. If I could change one thing, it would be to show and to showcase and demonstrate that autistic persons, that it is a very big spectrum. And autistic persons are all, each one, unique. Unique, right? That's the word, unique. You know, my journey into that was quite by accident. I had completed making the movie The Square Root of Two, starring Darby Stansfield from Scandal. And uh, after I made the movie and my daughter, Rebecca, had graduated college, she went to... uh, Tutor kids at a place called Cumberland Academy of Georgia for autistic individuals. And I said to her, why do you want to tutor? Why don't you want to teach, get a real career? She goes, Dad, you don't get it. Every brain is different. They're like snowflakes. And yes. we went to the school for the interview. And the uh, the woman who owned the school met my daughter for 10 minutes and said, uh, well, Doc, you know, your daughter is also on the spectrum. I said, wait a minute, I know she's got 23 brain tumors and epilepsy and everything, and we had her neuropsychologically tested, and she had ADHD and some memory deficits, but, and she had two major brain surgeries, but what, what, what's autism? She says, well, it's, uh, Asp- she has Asperger's and it's on this spectrum. And I go, what are you talking about? Me yes. being a brilliant MD, received no training in this, And so I held up release of the movie and uh, research for a couple of years to find out what this was. And then when I had my aha moment, that's when I wrote Asper Tools. And then we made the documentary where I pulled down all these scenes from this clueless father in the movie, a fictionalized version. Um, And the distributor wanted me to, well you're going to have to make it more autistic and you're going to have to explain because Asperger's and autism isn't mentioned one in the movie. And I said, no, that's the whole point. You see, as you were saying, Dustin Hoffman, this was much more accidentally nuanced because Darby Stansfield, the actress, studied my daughter directly, had her stay at her home for a week, you know, and, and had it down perfect without... Asperger's or autism ever being mentioned. And so what we're talking about is the public perception, all right? What does it convert into? It converts into, if if it's a good one, it can convert into jobs. It can convert into school opportunities. But most importantly, I think it's just one of the many kinds of different brains where we have to say... Again, how can we maximize Michael's potential yes. to do whatever he's going to do? Michael, I'm going to come over here, Michael, and introduce yourself and tell him how we met and everything. Look into that green light there. Right. Oh, hello. Um, well, um, when... When we uh, first met uh, for an interview um, with my parents, along with me, uh, I... No, excuse me. When was the first time you saw me? 
Oh, first time. Oh, right, right. Okay. Oh, Sorry to interrupt. Sorry. Um, <laughs> uh, we first met in McFadder Technical uh, College. It was a uh, career placement program and uh, class, and he visited uh, to talk about Different Brains, uh, the nonprofit organization. And so um, I kind of took it upon myself to listen to what he had to say in his presentation. And he even put up videos and a documentary as to um, what uh, Different Brains was about. And so I was I was actually uh, interested in the fact that uh, of the fact of his organization, yes. and it, and it kind of in, motivated me to yes. you know uh, figure out more about the organization online, yes. and so. Uh, my counselor actually said to me um, about an internship that he was um, he was uh, possibly in uh, in needing, and so I I said yes, and I went on uh, in an interview with him along with my parents, and we talked about. Uh, my qualifications and uh, my skills, and uh, and here I am. Michael, let me ask you a question. I have a question for Michael. So, Michael, when you began to listen to him, you, what you what you were seeing was someone who saw you. Is that true? You 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 were actually all of a sudden stepping out of this of this. You probably sensed you were you were suddenly uh, with with this person who is seeking out to know you and know unique minds and know neurodivergent persons. You sensed you are suddenly without a cover place to hide, and you don't even care because you get to be seen, and you know in your heart that so many people like you are not seen, they're not valued, they're not known, and there's no vehicle for them to be known. And so when you see that happen, you jump on it, right? Right. Yeah, exactly. Um, I just jump on it. I mean, without no hesitation, because yeah. uh, I, I'm particularly um, uh, different from what uh, most uh, most of the normal people, I should say. Uh, I'm more motivated. I'm, I'm more into what I want to do in my uh, future. Yes. And uh, what my skills might be, and what uh, and how I evolved. Um, yeah. And uh, wanting to become independent is more of my goal, personal goal yeah. of mine to uh, be in reach. So. Well, let me let me speak to something. What we also do is we all say independent living, independent living. We want independent living. Let me tell you, there's no such thing as independent living. I'll say that again. There's no such thing as independent living. I joke with people when I speak. I say, look, you want to see an independent living person? Go up to the uh, border near Canada. Go into a, a camp where there's a hunter who lives there and hunts moose or grizzly or something. I said, you go find that person. You probably have found someone who is independent. They don't need anybody. They just do. They If they want to eat, they go into the woods, whatever they do. They're independent. We... And especially as neurodivergent persons are created to be interdependent persons, interdependent. We need one another. We function best 
when our minds, when our purposes, our visions are connected. That's who we are. You know, on a personal level, you know, I'm not, I'm not independent. I go down, I do my, my hunting and my game gathering at the local grocery store. I, when I go down this to street, I talk to other people. I depend on them for a lot of things and they depend on me. We are created to be in community. And that, in particular, is where neurodivergent autistic persons on the spectrum are strongest. And I'm going to say one more thing, too. I, I am happy that Microsoft, yes, I said your name, Microsoft, you, you're, you, you can do your algorithm thing, uh, Apple and all of you, I'm excited that you have all these programs. But you have to understand something. And by the way, I'm hoping, and I'll say this right now on camera, I'm hoping that they call me and get me in there to do workshops on neurodiversity because I'd love to teach them to have uh, neurodiverse cultures, workplace cultures, so that they can help. They're already there, autistic staff people and, and employees and those who are to come. But we have got to stop doing this. And I'm speaking to all these groups, Microsoft and everybody else. We've got to stop compartmentalizing autistic persons as the finest computer programmers and coders that you could ever hope for, okay? That is hogwash. Fine, there are some autistic persons who want to be computer coders and programmers. I'm gonna help them do that. But there are many people out there who want to be cooks, who want to be incredible, they wanna be mechanics, they wanna work on things. They wanna be engineers, they wanna be poets, like our friend Samantha Craft, right, Hacky? Incredible poet. There are people who just need to be known for their own skills, their own unique designs. And we do them discredit and we do them disservice when we don't honor that. I spoke to a mom a, a couple years ago uh, and she said, well, my daughter's not going to be able to do anything. She's 19 years old. She's autistic. And, you know, we've tried to get her job training here and there. And every time now hang on these words, every time we turn around and, and take our eyes off her, she snuck off. You know where she goes? I said, where does she go? She goes out to the garden and she digs up all these plants and she plants new plants. And she gets dirt and fertilizer and she's putting mulch and she wants to go to the store and get these gardening materials and everything. And I said, is it possible that you have a gardener on your hand? Someone who loves plants, who loves growing things, who loves life. What if you equipped her to be an incredibly gifted gardener and to enjoy her life for her particular unique skill set. And the mom thought, you're right. She's happy in the garden. Then help her to find the garden. See that? Yeah, absolutely. Find what you want. Yes. All right. Back to your audio. Right. I hope the audio right. came out good. When no, you no, no. Ready. The audio was good. Say goodbye. Oh, um, goodbye. What? Goodbye. You know, whenever we have honored guests in the office, which is frequent, um, everybody, we have to go around the room and everybody's got to introduce themselves. Yes. And I always learn something new about everybody, especially the guests. The analogy I make that you just made so better than I could about the gardener is, um, you know, these. I use it with the kid who wants to play with dinosaurs, you know. Yes. All he wants to do is play with dinosaurs, dinosaurs, dinosaurs. Good. He can let him make his living out of that, you know?
Yes, and Hacky, when I work with work with folks, what I what I find is there are hyper focus areas. So I value each hyper focus area, whatever it is. So I by the way, let me interrupt you to say the chapter in Asper Tools, I yes. call it hyper interests because I don't want to call it obsessions. You call it hyper focus is perfect. Hyper interest is great too. So so I always look for several. I, I my my assessment of a new person that I'm beginning to work with uh, is again strength based. Uh, I'm doing observational assessment. Uh, I'm look. I'm asking lots of questions that are going to be well received by autistic persons. So I'm looking for what are their what are their you know what are their passions? What do they what do they want? What are they doing? And let's say I have two of those. You mentioned collecting dinosaurs, playing with dinosaurs. I remember one uh, autistic person who collected matchbox cars. You know the little matchbox cars? Well, and they knew every, they had hundreds of these things. They knew everything about them, what kind of car they were, when this one was made, all that. So matchbox cars. But they also had an interest in, um, I believe it was building things, mechanical, engineering, things like that. So... What I say to them is, it may be, now, unless you're going to be the curator or collections administrator for the Matchbox Cars Museum in Kentucky or wherever, then you may get a job. But you might not get a job based on the fact that you collect Matchbox cars. Maybe it's something you enjoy your whole life. My great uncle Wesley, which is another story we'll say for another time, uh, he loved to work math problems, crossword puzzles. His whole life he did that. But what no one knows is that my great-uncle Leslie served out World War II in a place called Bletchley Park in England as a codebreaker. He used his autistic mind to win World War II. So that is possible to have interests that are not going to be occupationally grounded. Let's help people appreciate those hyper-interest areas and to flourish in them and enjoy them as, as a gift. And yet let's find, let's dig deeper and let's find something that they can use uh, that's going to have applicability in today's workplace, that we can help them to do that so that they can they can have value in the work of their hands. They can make a living for themselves. They can feel good about themselves. And Hacky, you know, when you see someone employed and take joy in the fact that they belong, they have a, a workplace that accepts them and they can make money for themselves and their families. It changes everything, doesn't it? Self-esteem is number one. <laughs> yes, absolutely. David, this has been great, and I could talk to you for hours, and I don't yes. want to keep you, though. Tell me, what areas did we not discuss today that you'd really like to talk about now and get the so, word out? I think a lot of people ask me, so they, I think even if they're grabbing the concept of what we do with Life Guides for Autistic NeuroGuides, they still want to know process. Like, what do you do actually? What are, what are some key components of what you do? So the first thing I tell them is, well, everyone is unique. I don't cookie cutter anyone. Every single person is unique. But having said that, there is a methodology. There's a process behind it. Uh, my volunteers, and they know I've trained them to do this, and my board members, they know uh, it's, it's E3. E3 is uh, in equipping, and equipping is based on strengths, based on individual needs. What is it 
that someone needs to learn a skill that they don't have now. They need to engage in something they're not very good at doing. But what, how can we equip them with that life skills stuff so that they can do what's needed to be able to move into interdependent living, right? And, and as you know already, this is a massive invisible situation in the culture right now. There are untold numbers of autistic persons who are living at home. They're, live, they're, they're growing old at home and their parents are saying to me and to others, we're getting old and I can't care for my son or daughter when I'm 75 or 80 years old. I need to see them move into interdependent living. So we're equipping them for life skills. We're searching for what they need and we're doing, we're doing it all. I've done cooking. I've done, uh, I've, I've, I've helped in so many ways, uh, whatever it is, hygiene or job skills. So equipping. The second is uh, engagement. Engagement is where I go out in my organization as bridge builders. We are constantly looking for connectivity for this person. We are always searching for not just job opportunities, social opportunities, relational opportunities. We're always looking for ways that we can build bridges and not stand in the bridge for them. Build a bridge and help them get across. Sing praises as they, as they go. Be happy for them. Build a bridge. We engage. We uh, engage. The third is, and and you know we we kind of roll our eyes when we say this word sometimes, but I think it is so valid in the culture today, and that is encouragement. Encouragement is so critically important to the work we do. Every person I'm with, whether it's an autistic adult, whether it's a family member, caregiver. I am constantly encouraging them and finding ways to be positive, productive, and to tell them and remind them that they matter, they're of unique, important value in this world, and we will help them find their place. Because again, I won't allow myself to lose anyone, Hacky. I can't. It's not in my nature. We all need the pat on the back. We all, yes, we all we need do. it. We all need it. Yes, yes, we, we do. do. And that's uh, so well put. I noticed that you have a master's in divinity. How did that fit into the whole picture? Well, that's a great question, Hacky. You know, I, I believed at one point that it was my calling to pastor, to come alongside and uh, meet the hearts and minds of people who were disconnected, depressed, anxiety, who were looking for life answers. And what happened is I discovered in a very unique way that I am called to pastor. I'm called to be a pastor for autistic persons. I'm, that's where I'm finding my, uh, my calling. If you, had to give a neuro, if you had to give a neurodivergent individual one tip, what would that be? My one thing that I would tell them is this. Do not give up. Do not, do not stop. There are more people out there who will love you, know you, and appreciate you than you could possibly know. Do not ever quit in seeking to find them. They will be looking for you too. David, you're married with three kids. Why don't you give our autistic audience, those of us who might be on the spectrum, some tips about relationships. Yes. 
I believe that relationships, and by the way, this is with all persons, we all, wherever we are, neurotypical or neurodivergent, ought to be doing these things. The very best thing we can do for building relationships is, is in seeing one another with clear, authentic eyes. Now, that's not as hard as it sounds. What it means is we need to let go of our presuppositions, our, all of our, our structure that tell us how to, to, to behave with one another and sort of these expectations. We need to drop them. We need to begin to see each other as fully human persons. When we do that, all of us, autistic or not, when we see each other as fully, fully human persons, it will change everything dramatically in all relationships. And you know what? It makes living life a lot more fun. Well said. David Hall of NeuroGuides, it's been a pleasure to have you once again here at differentbrains.org. Thank you very much. Keep up the great work. Thanks, Aggie. I will. Exploring Different Brains is a production of Different Brains, Inc. For more information, visit us at differentbrains.org.